0: Before we start, we want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content.
1: Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and
0: we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows
1: like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast, we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further
0: so please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on
1: patreon to learn more go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women on pop fiction women we explore what it means to be a complicated woman tired of endless
0: variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys and women's bodies.
1: We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those
0: creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing
1: these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers, So come on, it's starting. Emily Gray Tedrow is the Chicago-based author of the novels Blue Stars and Commuters. She earned a PhD in English literature from New York University and a BA from Princeton University. Her new novel, The Talented Miss Farwell, is out now and has been described as breaking bad but set in the world of high-priced art, or Catch Me If You Can meets Patricia Highsmith, which are both great comps. (laughs) Great agreed. Person. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about the inspiration for The Talented Miss Farwell.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me on. This is such a great podcast and I'm so psyched to be a part of it. Yeah. So The Talented Miss Farwell is actually loosely based on a true story. In the Chicago area, about 10 years ago, we got this breaking news that a, a woman had been arrested and indicted in a tiny town for embezzling $50 million from her small town government where she worked over 20 years. And when this news like hit the radio, I happened to be driving. I think I was carpooling my kids somewhere. And then I, I was really fascinated by it, not just the story, but the fact that the news reporter said that the FBI had not arrested this woman for about six weeks, even after they knew she had done it because they did not believe that a woman alone could pull off what would turn out to be the largest municipal fraud in US history. Wow. So I was like, all my writer antenna, just, yes. you know? And I was like, I have got to imagine my way into this story. So that was like, the spark that lit the flame. But I definitely moved away from that like original fact material and made sure to imagine, you know, kind of my own character, my own story. So I would say it's loosely based on that original news story. You don't even need to dig
1: deeper. I mean, that is you could turn off the radio and go, my mind just goes wild with with all of that content right yeah I kind of did
2: I mean I wanted to maybe like leave room to imagine um, my own person and also like what it would be like to live uh, that double life for so long in a small place where everyone knows you Um, and that was like the seed definitely
0: I love hearing how that just Sort of came to you from that. That's amazing. Well, we love a good con artist story here, but typically in popular fiction, that's told from a male point of view. Like the comparisons we referenced earlier, you know, Tom Ripley or Frank Abignal from Catch Me If You Can, or the Walter Whites, uh, the con artist is usually a man. But you finally gave us a female con artist whose duplicity has nothing to do with the domestic realm. So what do you think personally is the allure of the con artist story and why did you want to explore it from the female perspective? I assume clearly it was because of this seed from the true life story, but we'd love to hear more.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are great points and it's true that in our fiction and nonfiction, we we mostly hear the con artist story from the male perspective, the male point of view. And my title, of course, is a kind of a winking reference to Patricia Highsmith's The Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm -hmm. So I hope by calling it The Talented Miss Farwell, it's a bit of a feminist kind of flip on that. And yes, you're right that I think I I am. I mean, I'm fascinated by con artists, too. I think that so many of us are. And for me, one of the reasons I think my character, Becky Farwell, takes on this double life and one of the reasons I sort of rooted for her, even while I was writing the story of a con artist, someone who commits a crime, is because she's up against so much sexism and patriarchy Mm -hmm. and the male world, even when she starts her regular life as a young woman growing up in a small rural area her father's job, which she helps, or his, her father's business, which she helps uh, turn around and save, mm-hmm. is in the farming tools industry, yeah. and that is a pretty much all-male-dominated area. Then when she gets her first job in the accounting department, she's the first female hire in the town for that department. Mm-hmm. So along the way, I you know tell about how she's just kind of facing up against this old boys network in every sector of her life. So I think fighting against that gives her a sense that she has to fight against the rules of society in general. And maybe she slides over into doing what she wants in a criminal way because she's been having to fight for everything she gets, even in like the legal world, right? Even mm-hmm. as a regular person, she's being held back by expectations of what a young ambitious woman should and shouldn't do yeah Mm -hmm. there's that great
1: scene where the people come over to her house and she's like 12 years old or 13 years old and she's the one who had turned around the business and they're like excuse me what are you still doing here and she just leans in like let's talk
2: yep she is taking charge of this like male rotary you know sort of meeting and you're right i mean it's It's very surprising to everyone. And I think that as a character, I've heard from other readers that this is something they love about her. I'm hoping that that can carry readers some way, even as she takes on these kind of like criminal aspects of her con. Right. Right. Well, you do
1: a a good job setting that up because we do just learn that it's kind of part of her life and journey. And you don't just wake up one day and start stealing money. So. Right, You really, you really set up the ways that she's been working against this. Also curious whether she starts stealing because she's, she is one of the guys and, or like in this world and that's all they do is take what they want when they want it. So
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why are the rules different for her? I mean, I do want to say that like one of the reasons she tips into this is that she becomes obsessed with visual art. Right. So we Mm -hmm. haven't talked about the art world yet. And that's where my novel takes this character, because she has this sort of obsession that comes out of nowhere. Yeah.
1: So so tell us how Becky gets interested in the art world.
2: Yeah, so it's this kind of crazy coincidence that gets her into the art world. Her father is ill, and she is his only child, and her mother died early, so she's taking him to the doctor, and well, after he has the appointment, she's wandering a nearby college campus. She doesn't get to go to college because of needing to help her dad and stay at home, so she feels very out of place there, and for one reason or another, she ends up using the bathroom in the art department, and as she's walking out, she sort of pretends to herself like, okay, well, I'll look at these paintings, and she does, but she's very worried. She's thinking about her dad. She's thinking about his health. She's thinking about how the business is always so in trouble. And then she sees a painting and it just stops her. She's frozen, Mm -hmm. just entranced. And it's almost like this moment of like a lightning bolt. I mean, it's kind of a life-changing moment for her. And one thing she does is she reaches out and unhooks the painting from the wall. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to study it closer. And then, of course, like security rushes over. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, what? You can't hold them? And they're like, no. But she didn't know that because she's right. so grown up going to galleries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. There's another coincidence where it turns out the price of this painting is exactly as much as this one sum of money that has sort of gone awry in the accounts at her office.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So she makes this decision to use this kind of found money and mm-hmm. buy herself the painting. Yeah. And she finds a way to pay back the money. But that's the first act that sort of kicks her into something that will become her lifelong obsession. And it comes Mm -hmm. completely out of a coincidence.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. All of those pieces are layered so beautifully. When does that come to you? Like, that's not first draft. I mean, maybe the art school, like, seeing it, but then... When does that come in, layering second draft, third draft? Like, this is a whole process, right?
2: It is definitely a whole process. Yeah. Mm. I like to think of my first draft as just kind of like spilling out the story, right? I've been, you probably taking notes. I don't outline, but I take a lot of notes. I brainstorm a, a, mm-hmm. a scrapbook about this novel. Then the first draft, I'm just kind of feeling my way through the story. But, you know, I had amazing editing. My editor, Kate was incredible. And she was always pushing me to come back to sort of how Becky's actions affect those who are close to her. So, you know, Mm -hmm. Becky has a best friend in the small town that she grew up in. She Mm -hmm. has a close sort of person at work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a while, I think in the first draft, I was just having fun, like writing about this kind of explosive crime, con artist career. Yeah. And then my editor really asked me to go sort of like deepen these moments of pain where people find out if they've been betrayed or deceived. So that yeah. was really an incredible gift my editor gave me. Yeah. Oh,
1: And have you been working with her for all of your books or is this? No,
2: this is my first book working with her. Her name's Kate Ninsel, and she's at Custom House and William Morrow. And you know, there's like that truism that editors don't really edit anymore, that that's that.
1: Right. That's what you hear, yeah. right?
2: You hear, but it is at least in my case, so not true. I feel like Kate knows this novel better than I do.
1: Wow. That's amazing. It
2: was a gift. Yeah, it was true. Yeah, yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit more about Becky because on our podcast, Pop Fiction Women, we talk about complicated women all the time. It's our tagline. But to us, that just means real three-dimensional human beings that have contradictions and conflict. That's what life is about. Becky obviously qualifies as a complicated woman, She steals from the town but also gives back. She funds local needs, but she also lets others like the swimming pool kind of wither away. I found it very easy because of the way you set her up, the way you started from when she was younger, the way she's cared for her dad, the way she kind of stumbles into art, the way she stumbles into a lot of the things that she just ends up making bad choices. I was rooting for her a lot, but I know other people will see it very black and white that she's a criminal. Mm -hmm. Do you think Becky thinks she's a criminal?
2: That is like the $10,000 question.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Honestly, I think it's one of the driving forces that I carried through writing this novel. Exactly how you put it. How does she see herself? I really spend probably most of my time working to develop her inner world. And because I think it is complicated. I mean, somebody who pulls off a crime like that for so long and lives a double life must have a fascinating inner psychology. And yes, as you said, like Becky will steal or borrow, actually she calls it the activity. -hmm. activity. She has a Uh private language for what she's doing. She will remove this money from the town coffers use it to buy art, but then most of the time she'll sell the art and make a profit and put that profit back into the town all secretly. So she is mm-hmm. able to tell herself I'm doing good. I'm actually able to fund these things as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, she is. Yes. Yeah. She's not just telling
1: herself she is. But yeah.
2: you know, there's a great conflict. And in a lot of ways, as soon as the gap starts getting wider and wider and she can't pay it back, she is forced to really reckon with what is she doing? And I think that it becomes more and more strained as, you know, the years pass. And she's unable to completely, you know, sort of believe that she's doing everything she can. And that's where I think the damage comes in. But you're right that her inner world, her experience of how am I managing to do this? What what do I feel about myself is kind of a big part of why I wanted to write this character.
0: Yeah. So Becky Farwell is, in fact, living a double life. I mean, by day, she's Miss Farwell, long-standing active member of her community in this small town. But at night, she's Reba. Farwell, global high society art collector. So this is probably very far from most readers' lives, I would imagine. But
1: <laughs> let's hope.
0: Yeah, let's hope. Yes, but you know we've heard you say, and, and I think you're touching on it, that it's actually a really relatable concept. So uh, tell us more about that. Why you think she is still so relatable despite the fact that again her circumstances are not like most of
2: ours. Yeah. You know, I think one of the relatable factors about Becky is that when she breaks into the art world, this is a social code area that she's not necessarily a part of. Mm -hmm. And she enters it sort of without any connections or knowledge or, you know, the sort of class privilege that might allow her to move in those worlds. And she comes in sort of with a lot of embarrassing faux pas. At one point, she tries to outbuy someone who's already arranged to buy a painting. And that's just like apparently not done. Mm -hmm. She's kind of an underdog in this arena, which I feel like can be a sort of a relatable quality. And I've certainly been in scenarios, and maybe you have too, where I wasn't sure what the social rules are or like, you know, am I, I'm feeling out of place. I'm feeling not cool enough to be here. I mean, I think in a lot of ways Becky suffers when she feels like she's not cool enough or in the in crowd or privileged enough to know Mm. the kind of people in this big city art world, because she does come from a small rural town. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that's one thing that like, yeah, we're not all like, High flying, you know, art connoisseurs Mm -hmm. with, you know, that kind of jet setting lifestyle. But yeah, we've all been in that moment, I assume, where you're like, this is a group I really want to be a part of. And I don't know, like, what's, you know, cool enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then she has that amazing scene, which I feel like really nails it when she's at the bar afterwards and she meets Mac. In my mind, it's not really like this. It just has the feeling of the pretty woman moment when she's like, mm-hmm. I have all this money yeah. and I <laughs> can't buy a
2: dress. And-, oh, right, and, she's right. and She's like, you work on commission, right? Big mistake. Yes, yeah, yeah. big you know, mistake. Like, stop <laughs> exactly. This. Such a moment. Yes, um,
1: yes. Yeah,
2: her, she meets this guy who's going to be her mentor, not just in terms of the nuts and bolts of how do you collect great art, but who do you know? Who should you stay away from? Like, what are the sort of passwords or code words that you need to have to get to the right parties? Yes, right.
1: yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what we loved about that dynamic with her and Mac. I mean, another way, you know, you managed to make Becky,
0: I think, a unique female lead is that romantic relationships really seem ancillary to her. This is not a character who falls in love or gets entangled in you know a messy relationship, but yet she has a real bond with Ingrid. There's a closeness, an intimacy, a singular focus and like protectiveness, like when she wants to help Ingrid's special needs child, but not all of the community kids that Ingrid is fighting for. So tell us about your decision to make her a single woman, or maybe if you want to talk about their friendship and why you wanted to include that.
2: Yeah, first of all, Kate, I'm so happy that you noticed this kind of aspect of Becky's personality because I think a lot of the times when we do see women in fiction and they are given a double life, a lot of times it's in that relationships realm, right? Yeah. We'll see a woman cheating on her partner or maybe like breaking away from her family and it's and it's messy and it's relational. Yes. But I wanted to tell a story of a woman for whom relationships are definitely second tier, you know, to her own ambition with this private obsession, but she does have a true connection with a woman, Ingrid, in her town. Mm -hmm. And sort of despite herself, Becky becomes best friends with this woman. And they, mostly because I think they both don't leave. They both stay in Mm -hmm. the small area, Pearson, where they grew up. And that bonds them. But Becky, you're right. She wants to treat Ingrid. She wants to take care of her, but she also can't let Ingrid know what she's doing because Mm -hmm. Ingrid is a good person. And I think as most of us are, would be horrified to know what Becky was doing in her secret life. So yeah, one of the sort of plot conflicts is, you know, Ingrid is a working class mom who has a special needs kid who has a lot of treatments and, and therapies that they can't afford. And Becky does fund those and help out with that. But you're right. She wants to do that for Ingrid. But Ingrid is focused on, okay, well, maybe I can start up this school or this program for all the kids in the community and we'll get a government grant. And meanwhile, Becky doesn't want that because she doesn't want anything yeah. to expose her sort yeah. of private financial shenanigans. But she also doesn't really understand, like, Ingrid, why can't you be Satisfied with this? You're getting this Cadillac of therapy that I'm paying for. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Becky has a limit to her understandings. I think of like friendship and and community, yeah. whereas Ingrid really wants the best for the community.
1: Yeah, so. right. Well, right. Becky's is very personal, right? Yes, Ingrid has stayed too, but she stayed when her dad died and she was like, I don't need you around. And, and Ingrid knew she did and she just needed a person and she gave her space when she needed it and then stayed anyway mm. in, in more of a, an existential or emotional way rather than just physical.
2: Yeah. Although the details of like, so, you know, Ingrid, when Becky's father passes away, Ingrid just like shows up at her house and just brings these snacks for them. And I I took the details of those snacks directly from my own best friend and I, who like in high school and in college, if we were having a bad day, one of us would just drive over with like, do you remember Tato skins? Those like crazy, that <laughs> were like, we, we loved those, like total garbage food, yeah. but uh-huh. it was like a treat or those kinds of like the Keebler cookies with like the M&Ms mm. on them. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: yes. My kids so, still love those. You know,
2: if one of us that had a breakup or like was having a stressful time, we would just treat each, we would just kind of show up with this junk food. And so mm-hmm. I totally took that, stole that. And my best friend who just finished the book last week texted me and she was like, oh, oh my God, you know- And I was like, Uh, potato skins. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. I love that. I love that. So-
1: One of our segments on our regular episodes is called What She Said, and we dive into the creators of our books and movies and TV shows that we love, and we devour everything that these women say. And we always take away something that blows our minds. Like when Michaela Cole wrote in I May Destroy You, she said, control what you can, no more, no less.
0: Yeah. Or Liz Feldman, creator of Dead to Me, who we love. She said in an interview to find your wound and write from it, haunts us to this day, that line. But these are the complicated women that inspire us or a few examples and some of the brilliance that they've shared with the world that has stuck with us. So we'd love to ask who are the complicated women that inspire you? And it can be a character you relate to in fiction or a real life woman you
2: admire. That is a great question. First of all, I love Dead to Me. I love, I, I'm always yeah. messing up the title of the Michaela Cole one. Is it, I, I, may I, may destroy, I may destroy you. I may destroy you. Yeah, both of those series blew me away. Um, yes. Just the acting, the writing, the portrayal of the women. Yes. I couldn't do yes. more. It's, yes. Yeah, so, so in depth. I think in terms of naming a woman, and a portrayal of a woman, I'm going to have to go to, say, Elena Ferrante and her sure. series, The Neapolitan Quartet. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'll even mention the most recent of her novels. This is Elena Ferrante, who is the pseudonym of a contemporary Italian writer. She's kind of taken the world by storm. There's this like thing called Ferrante fever. A lot of people <sighs> fell in love with her her series about a friendship in working class Naples was made into a HBO series, yeah. which I loved also. Mm-hmm. But so her new novel is called The Lying Life of Adults. Yeah. Have you read it? I haven't. I don't I've seen it. It just came
1: out like last month, maybe. It did. Yeah.
2: It was like, yeah, last month, month before. And I tore through it. There are the narrator is a young woman, and the main character, her aunt, is an older woman. And they are so complex and mm. dark at times. There's stuff about beauty and ugliness. There's stuff about sex and innocence. There's stuff about how much do you want to grow up to become like the women in your life? And it's okay. very tough. It's not like mm. this kind of, cozy, comforting novel. It's like pretty Mm. brutally clear-eyed and I couldn't have loved it more. I just thought it was incredible. And to say one more thing about Elena Ferrante, which I think a lot of writers love, especially female writers, is that this is a pseudonym. No one knows who the actual writer is. And she has said again in interviews that she needs this anonymity to protect her own ability to write. And she feels that the publicity machine and the sort of focus on women's appearance is damaging to an artist. And she Mm -hmm. kind of rejected that entire part of the business. And I find that so inspiring. And so, you know, it's my path, but it holds out like this sort of model for me as a writer and a woman to really kind of be intentional about what you're doing and what you're putting out there. Yeah. I I love love that. that. I love what you You said.
1: Yes. That's great. I know people love her. I have not embarrassingly, I have not read anything that she's done. We need to get into this. Sounds like the latest one is.
2: The the latest one is incredible, but maybe start with my brilliant friend, the first one in the series. It's so beautiful and it's so good. And it's all about complex women. I think we both would love it. Yeah. And I think oh. the listeners would if they haven't already. You're right. All right.
1: You're right. So Kate, you want to talk about running?
2: Yeah,
0: let's talk about
2: running. So <laughs> oh,
1: I, I've, okay. I've,
0: I've been creeping on your Instagram page, oh. obviously. So I see that you are a runner and I share the same affliction slash addiction. Even though my aging joints fight me at every turn, I persist nonetheless. <laughs> and for me... You know, it's the one exercise that lets me sort of both clear my mind, but also like work through things that are cluttering it. So for me, when I run, like ideas come to my mind or something, if I'm blocked about something, I can get a release or I have like total internal discussions and like dialogue with myself while running. So I like that. I mean, it doesn't, my brain doesn't shut off. Like some people like workouts where they just don't think about anything and and that's the the joy. Yes. That's me. I like some of that, but running is the opposite of that for me. So what does it do for you? And does it help with your writing or is it sort of this escape from the cerebral?
2: Oh my gosh. I am so excited you brought up running because of course <laughs> this is so from my Instagram I'm such a running nerd and I always have been. <laughs> I think it is a total compliment to my writing. And I agree. I love my sort of rambly internal dialogue while I run, you know, mostly Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm not too stressed about it. I let all those thoughts kind of ramble around while I'm listening Mm -hmm. to music. I mean, if anyone ever saw my Spotify playlists of while I run, it would be like humiliating. I'm sure I
1: would love them. Can you give them to me? Yes.
2: (laughs) total cheese rock and like 80s st- oh my god
1: oh i love, I love it it's perfect
2: so yeah, we all got we all got to have that workouts but it's so funny cuz in my like sort of writing notebooks i always have these notes that are like idea from when i was running or like while i was running i had this note or I had this idea and i've actually mm-hmm. sometimes used the recording voice recorder app on my phone while I'm running to like make breath. You've done it too. Yeah. Oh, like breathless notes that sound ridiculous because I'll just like run for a while while I'm thinking. And then, you know, when I when I play it back later, it's like huff, puff, you know,
1: (laughs) And and
2: then, you know, yeah.
0: I actually stop and use the notes function and start typing it. That's Whoa. how dumb I am about it. I mean, yeah, and I'm like trying to you. run. People will see me and be like, what is she doing? It's because I had an idea. And God forbid I stop to type. I'm still trying to run and type. Oh, that <laughs> is hilarious.
2: Oh, you better be Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I
0: know. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. Yeah, I thought you were going to say your Spotify playlist had country music because I also heard you say that you like country music and I am a huge country music fan, but we won't have to get into that too. Yeah,
2: I, have, I have, you know, a lot of sort of what I would call the guilty pleasure listening <laughs> to Yes. Me. but yeah, country's in there too. I love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's all music should be. I'm not in the heavy music situation. We got that from Lady Bird from yeah. Greta Gerwig. Didn't yeah. she say she she was given so much guff for using Dave Matthews crash into me. And she's like, you know what? You just got to like what you like. And that's what I like.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, And that's, that moment is so beautiful. And exactly. you know, she and her friend are just like listening to that song and yes. Yes. no, I couldn't agree more. It's you're right. I'm going to stop saying guilty. Pla- I'm just going to say pla- good, man. It's all. Pla-
1: yeah. Yes exactly own it love there we go yes i love that and do you do long distance running i mean this is she uh, corinne hates running i mean like uh, yeah okay wait i became a little bit of a convert over in this pandemic because we moved out to the town where i grew up in it's a very small town and we live right across the street from the high school and they have a great track there I realized I love like short distance sprinting, although it's actually long distance sprinting. I do like 400. I love that. I don't go for a run. I hate it. I right. just don't. But right. I do love that. That track situation really turned me on to running, but it's not the same as what Kate does. So Yeah, yeah. Well, but I don't run long distances. Not. I'm not.
2: I mean, yeah. I think there's a place for both. I mean, I tend to be more of the sort of like zone out, go for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. You know, I'm pretty slow, but I, you know, that's yeah. about how long I go. But there's wow. like that adrenaline rush from the shorter stuff too. That can like right. give you a high for the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, for me picking it up during the pandemic, I was just becoming so complacent and so I don't mean this in the way it would probably sounds, but like soft. And I wasn't used to pushing myself. I wasn't in an office environment. I wasn't, you know. I, I wasn't pushing myself or being uncomfortable and getting on that track and running when my body hurt and I couldn't breathe. And it's two minutes tops. It changed everything for me. It really did.
2: It's awesome. That's great. I I love love it. So
1: anyway, I'm not going to, I'm not going to become a devotee. But
2: (laughs) join the the party. You're like,
1: it's a gateway. It's a
2: gateway run. We're into it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. Totally shifting gears from the running. We wanted to talk about your acknowledgments. You give thanks to the witches Ah. who know who they are. (laughs) Just so you know, this appeals to me because I have been accused of and also now claim for myself that I am a little witchy. This happens with me and Kate all the time. She's like, ooh, how did you know that? So witchy. So I wanted to hear more about that. Whatever you're comfortable sharing.
2: Yeah, sure. And and unfortunately, there's no like Spooky, spooky, spooky right? But I am part of a like a secret Facebook group that Mm -hmm. was started by a friend of mine who just basically kind of pulled together a group of her women and non-binary, you know, and people who identify as women friends. Most of them are mothers too, and kind of made Mm -hmm. it a safe space for. Venting, oh. bitching about your husband or your kids—you know, yeah. like yeah. you know—kind yeah. of a, a no-judgment, safe space. And I think you know, and so she, she, it's—I don't remember how it got started, but she started calling it the witches. And I love it. And, you know, love it's a it. Group of women that now I've I only know through the wonders of the internet, but they've become very, very close and important to me. And you know, just like a wonderful group of supportive, complex women—you know, women who are just all the things that we talked about that we love in fiction and in popular mm. culture. And they knew about this book as I was writing it. They geared mm. me along. They gave me a ton of love and support and they were just, you know, they're just really celebrating the book coming out. And so I couldn't, you know, I'm just so grateful for them as well as my like in-person friends, you know, right. sure, just right. the internet friends, but you right. know. <laughs> It's a weird world where a group of people on your screen can become so deeply important in your life, but it's true. They are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely.
2: Oh, I love that. Yeah,
0: I love that they're named the witches. Yeah. So even though it really isn't about something woo-woo or witchy, it's I'm going to use it as a segue. We ask all our authors to share their astrological sign. Ooh. And since, you know, since you're thanking witches, I'm hoping that it isn't too woo-woo for you and we've we've happily found, actually, that so many writers seem willing to sort of embrace. This side of themselves, yeah. the intuitive side, the mysticism. So, what is your sign, and do you relate to it? Oh, oh
1: look at her! She's holding up a pack of tarot cards. Oh, we
2: love you. My, Next door on my desk. Um, <gasps> love
0: you. Wait before you even it. Like that's the, another thing. Like we are super into astrology, but we always talk about how we neither one of us knows anything about tarot cards. So, you have to explain
1: this to us and too. Then, and now you're the third writer. Yes. Yes. To so. to. Yeah.
2: Yes. I am so into the tarot, not just I don't know, for life stuff, although I do I do like to pull a card and you know, oh my god, I can't believe I'm saying this (laughs) (laughs) says to me about my day or my, you know, my my, like what's going on. But I use it for my writing all the time. I mean again I was mentioning if I'm not talking about running I'm talking about how I pulled a card and I want it to like inspire the scene I'm working on. So you know something about the fire sign or the cup sign or the air sign, I'll I'll use that to kind of maybe give myself another strange angle to think about the characters and the scene I'm working on. There's actually in the talented Miss Farwell where she's meeting this. Guy Ken, who will become very important to her, and they're they're in the bar drinking, and there's something I I wrote about, like a fish sign on his glass or something etched onto his glass, and that was because I pulled a card that day, and it had that image of like a cup and a fish on it. Ugh. So I just sort of put that imagery right into the scene, and maybe it gave it a little extra something.
0: Wow! Ugh.
2: So I love yeah. that. I'm definitely okay. So I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, maybe I'm not. So I'm, I'm November 23rd, which I think is on the cusp of like Scorpio and Sagittarius. Maybe
1: it is, it is on the cusp. I am on the cusp of Pisces, but it depends where you were born and the time of day. Yes. Yes. But you, you could do your birth chart and know for sure. But, but I think generally Sagittarius is that's firmly into Sagittarius. Okay. But that makes us the fire sign trio right now. Oh, yeah, y- Yes, because I'm a Leo. Aries, Leo, Sagittarius. Okay, good, good. Let me just say that, so we oh, yeah. look up the astrological sign of every creator that we cover on this show. is dominate mm-hmm. that list. Mm-hmm. There are far more... Yeah, far more Sagittarius, like two times, three times more than any other sign. I'm
0: and for example, there's no Scorpios still, right? Karim, no, you're... we do have a Scorpio. Oh, now. we now we have, do have one. one. Okay. But yes. for a while, there was zero Scorpios. There's a lot that there's one or
1: two or whatever, but the Sagittarius outshines them all. Wow. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. And I'm
1: curious. That's very. Cool. And can we tell you another ridiculous story since mm-hmm. you already said you like Dead to Me? <laughs> we did oh, Dead yes. to Me. Oh, really? And we got her birthday wrong and Liz Feldman listened to the episode and tweeted us and said, I love what you said, but plot twist, I'm a Gemini. And we were like, Liz Feldman. freaking out. That is
2: so awesome. That's so funny. I mean, it's such a cool way to think about like Creativity too, and you know, I I'm like I'm into that stuff, man. I wouldn't say I have like crystals everywhere, but creativity is about making connections across disparate things. And I think that like the more you kind of get out of your usual box of productivity and getting something done, and and bring in something whether that's tarot card or even music or or art or thinking about birth signs. I think that's like can really kind of just energize what you're working on.
1: Yeah. I love it. We've had an array of reactions to this question because we ask every author. But all of them have been very positive. I mean, some of them are like, so, you know, my moon is this, my Pluto's in here. I mean, some of them know like literally everything, but all of them are open to it, which is just so funny to Kate and I because we are lawyers aside from our writing life. And when we ask lawyers, what's your sign? They're like, you don't believe it.
2: Even know then. their sign, or like, are they, are they literally don't even know? don't
0: know. And I can't even understand that. I'm like, you don't know your sign. They're like, I don't know. I was born in July. Like, what's that? I'm just like, uh, I'm like, mind blown but that you, you don't even know
2: Sassy Magazine growing up, like, right? You know, I mean, it was every magazine is always like, I mean, I flipped to the astrology column, yes.
1: I mean, well, what I'll, I'll say is, we work with a lot of men, gonna say, and men did mad. not read Sassy Magazine
2: and, yeah. Yeah. and funny. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. All of those things.
1: We did have one author, Corinne, who didn't, did
0: not respond to this question. One out of all of them. And then we just didn't know what to do. We're just, she's
1: like, yeah, yeah I'm not into astrology. We're like,
2: Okay, good to, <laughs> render, We'll move on. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes.
1: But the funny thing about that was she lived in LA and yeah. I think it was more of a reaction to where she lived. She was like, "Oh, everybody... I mean, in LA, you can like pull into any Chipotle and there's a tarot card reader <laughs> outside. Yeah. I mean, not kidding. I lived there yeah. so uh, for a couple of years, so... But how did you learn to... Re- you can read tarot cards? like I, you, I-
2: have had my tarot cards read... And okay. i a great book. I'm looking to see. Oh, I'm going to grab it off my shelf. Um, Yay. I really Yay. enjoy, for creators, this is a book called The Creative Tarot. Okay. By, <gasps> inspired Life by Jessa Crispin. Oh, my god. A, a feminist critic. And she's the editor of Bookslut.com, if you can Yep. This is a book that's actually for people who are creative readers, writers, artists. It basically takes up each card and sort of tells you what energy it is for the creating moment you're in. Oh, wow!
0: wow. It's
2: so helpful, and that's what actually got me into kind of using it for my work. So,
0: oh, oh, I mean, that I, I love exciting. this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's very feminist, very focused on kind of like women's thinking and energy
1: and I yeah I'm very into it oh, oh god I love all right that. we gotta
0: get this we love when the authors get up and go grab something <laughs> off their bookshelf something good always, always a highlight from that.
1: Good. good yeah always and, and that brings me though besides the creative tarot we always ask what are you loving right now because our authors always have such great suggestions and they're into the best things so what are you into books shows people that you're down a rabbit hole with
2: yeah let's see, what am I, okay, so I just finished the latest by Sue Miller, the writer Sue Miller, so mm. it's a novel called Monogamy, Monogamy. yeah. and yeah. Um, she is such a pro, man, I mean, talk about, like, you know, we we're talking about, like, I didn't write a novel about women's relationships this time, but she, that's her focus, and, you know, mm. marriage, and parenthood, and love, and sex, and growing older with someone. So this novel was all that. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. really loved it. Nice. I've been watching with my husband. We've been watching this Netflix show away and it stars Hillary Swank.
0: Oh, opera. someone told me about this.
2: are not going to Mars. Mm-hmm. Okay. and the sort of setup is when she goes to Mars she leaves behind her family for three years because that's what wow. I guess it takes to go to Mars mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's mostly like she's a parent, she has a teenager, she's leaving her husband behind. And you know, she can still be in contact with them, I guess through whatever like texting technology you have when you're on a spaceship and okay. I think Hilary Swank is like a beautiful yeah. amazing actor and I haven't hadn't seen her in a while. So yeah. and you know who's in it? It's Josh Lucas. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Okay.
0: Well, now you nobody told me that. My friend who told me to watch it just kept talking about Hillary's Plank. Had yeah. she mentioned Josh Lucas, yeah. I would be, yeah, I'm getting on Netflix as soon as we're done. I mean, mm-hmm. I love him.
2: And then in terms of music, I've been obsessed with two albums recently. And one is the new Taylor Swift album. I think it's incredible. Yes, both My kids, my two teens, my son and my daughter both love it. And we're all Swifties over here and we just love her. Yes. Yay! We have a whole podcast
0: on it. Oh, but is literally
2: yeah. that immediately. I, oh. Outside, we don't
0: cover music, but that shows you how much we loved it. We did that and Dixie Chicks' Gaslighter oh, album together.
2: So good, yeah. So, so. In the country realm, I'm also loving the High Women. I don't know if you. Know oh that. yes, of
0: course, Maren Morris.
2: That album out carried me through the summer and. So, yeah, that, those are my music
1: loves right now. Oh, yeah, they're fantastic. That's some good stuff. I love I love finding something to connect on and then also new stuff for me to dig into. I love it.
2: Me too. Wait, give me, what are you guys? Give me something to listen to or watch or read.
1: You know where we're going, Kate. What? what? Foodie Love. Oh, yes. Foodie love? love. It's a show on HBO? HBO Max. Okay. Mm-hmm. By a brilliant Spanish creator. And director. Yeah, Yeah, she directs it, but she's a creator who's done many works. And she's apparently, you know, huge in Spain, but this is the first thing we're getting over here. It is a show on the surface about two people who love food, but really it's deeply about falling in love with someone and what it means and what happens to your pain and the stuff that comes up when you fall in love. Yeah. yeah the two of them meet an app called Foodie
0: Love for people who have a A love of food. And it's, first of all, the food shots are just amazing. And then also the travel. I mean, it's in Spain, they go to France, they go to Italy, to Rome. I mean, it's fantastic.
1: Really, really good.
2: But then we can't go anywhere and we can't travel. Yes. It must be so nice. I totally am going to tune in.
1: Yes. Yeah. But the deeper stuff about, Relationships and Mm -hmm. how intimacy, so much about intimacy and what it stirs up and what it gives you. And oh, so good. Highly recommend that one. Thank you. Yes. And then also, a person that we had been talking about was Britt Marling, who Chloe Benjamin reminded us of. She had been down that rabbit hole with Britt Marling. She just has such amazing ideas. The reason I got into her was she wrote a New York Times op ed said, I don't want to be the strong female lead. And it just turned so many ideas upside down for me that I went down a rabbit hole. She's on plenty of podcasts and you can hear her. is that the name of her show? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I've heard of her. I need to check her out more.
1: I wouldn't be surprised, but she actually started at Goldman Sachs. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She is a fascinating person. Some people love the show. Some people do not. It's sci-fi. So if you're not into that, even if you're not, just go listen to her speak about the ideas of masculinity and femininity. And they're so much deeper than gender, what she's talking about. And it's
2: mind-blowing stuff. Awesome. That's great. I'm on there right.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. We love the talented Miss Farwell and we hope everyone reads it and tell us what you think. Also tell our listeners where they can find you, Instagram, whatever you like to connect with your
2: readers. I would say more of my book stuff is probably on Twitter where I get a little Mm -hmm. political too. So just a warning, there might be Mm-hmm. some anti-Trump ranting that goes on on Twitter but you can find me there and mm-hmm. on Instagram as you guys found out I, I do some book stuff but I also get nerdy about running so mm-hmm. it's Tedro for both of those and I would love to hear from your listeners and I am just thank you guys this was such an amazing conversation you guys have such a great show and I'm, I'm so delighted I got to be a part of it.
1: Emily can I just ask you to repeat the handle because yeah. I, I think it went out.
2: E.G. Tedro. Perfect. Just my initials and my name. Perfect. Find me there. Yay. Thank All you right. well, so Thank you much. so much. Yes. Nice to see you guys.
1: This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media
0: tag us with your favorite books tv shows and movies starring complicated women on facebook and instagram at pop fiction women or on twitter at pop underscore women
1: for more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman go to popfictionwomen.com
0: and keep it complicated